Good morning, saints of God. This is Pastor Kirby Newsom from Quinn Chapel AME Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, I have a relevant word this morning in regards to as we move along in the sixth day of our new year of 2020. So let's get started in regards to this word that I think will help us get through this day, through this year, and through this life. Romans 12 and 3. For I say through grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. The grass withered, the flower faded thereof, but the word of our God stands forever. I want to talk about what are you thinking? What are you thinking? In this world of selfishness where everything seems to be about I and me and mine, it's so easy to get caught up in the quest to create our own image of importance. Our carnal nature pushes us to feel needed and indispensable. Those emotions feed our ego. They nurture our self-image and our self-esteem. Now, I'd be the first to admit everyone needs a certain level of pride in self. There are far too many in hopeless situations because of their low self-esteem. They have yet to discover that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. To them, I say, cast off your calamities and put on the crown of Christ. But for those who find themselves thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think, I like what Solomon wrote, and rightly so, that pride go before the destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. He said that in Proverbs 16 and 18. Solomon's wisdom still holds true today. Too much pride gets us off track and puts us on a superficial pedestal. We become conceited, egotistical, overconfident, and when we do, we make ourselves difficult to work with. Our ability to work with others rests largely on our outward image. The Bible says the Lord is found in a still and small voice, and that a soft answer turns away wrath. The Bible also says that we should not make boasts, not in ourselves, but in the Lord, that the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Say what you want about me, people, but they are the ones who attract others. And for this reason, they can and will move mountains. That is why in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that would be the ones to inherit the earth in Matthew 5 and 5. The way to reach the hearts of men is not with an air of superiority and overconfidence, but the way to reach men in this world is with humble, modest, and an unassuming nature. So let's explore what these attributes of our text accomplish. First, our text commands us to think humbly. Humility opens the mind to see the needs, not just of ourselves, but others. It causes us to place the needs of others above our own. There is a profound respect for mankind and a believer with a humble nature. But the word humble comes from a Latin word meaning low. In other words, a humble believer has a modest view of his own importance because he knows where his true strength lies. It lies in his relationship with the Lord. It's when we overestimate our own capabilities that we develop an extreme pride and arrogance or a conceited or, in this case, a very bad thinking. I put on a brand new pair of khaki slacks some time ago to go to breakfast with a colleague. The pants were crisp, clean, and creased just right. I sat down to breakfast and ordered my favorite strawberry pancakes with syrup. 
They were delicious, but I left the restaurant. I noticed that there was a strawberry stain on my brand new pants. So I rushed home, changed clothes, and took the pants to the cleaners. And when I picked them up two days later, the stain had faded, but it was still there. Sorry, said the clerk. We did all we could to get it out. On the way home, I fully intended to throw the pants away, but something said and got to thinking about all the mistakes I've made in my life. Some I've never admitted to anyone. I, and at that moment, I decided to keep those pants as a reminder of my past mistakes. And I even put them on and wore them. And see, what you need is an eagle eye to see the stain because after repeated washings, the stain faded. But I know it's there, and that 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 faded stain keeps me humble. Saints of God, this morning, consider your mistakes, the stains that no one else can see. The longer you've walked with the Lord, the more faded they become to others. But you know they are there, and you know they've only been blotted out by the blood of Jesus. That truth ought to make you humble for sure. Second, our text commands us to think soberly. It has nothing to do with alcohol or drugs or being tanked. The word soberly means to be serious and thoughtful. There are times in life when humor is not appropriate. Situations that command us to be serious minded and exhibit the ability to exercise some critical thinking. We all know someone who jokes around too much, acts far too playful. Maybe they are deliberately using humor to cover up their inability to shed their bad thinking for a more appropriate response to life's challenges. But sober thinking goes far beyond shedding a chronically humorous manner. A sober believer's focuses attention on the things of, of, listen, of God. Should we go to work, raise our families, put our talents to good use in the care of this life? But we also do something a non-believer does not do. And Paul wrote in Titus 2 and 12, denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We should keep our spiritual eyes on a different prize, the prize of a crown that when we get to God's kingdom, we should be able to clear our minds, but not only clear our minds, stabilize our souls, remove our doubts, humble our spirits and renew our faith and keep your eyes lifted to the hills from which our help comes from heaven. Finally, our text says we should think according to the measure of faith. We ought to be true worshipers demonstrating a reverence towards God, but that takes exercise and practice. And what good is faith if we don't put it to use? See, worship brings out the best in us. It, it regenerates our souls, resolves our doubts, reinforces our testimony, reestablishes our priority, reassures our confidence, re and reshapes our thinking. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. As the saying goes, the exercise of faith through worship does much more. Listen, it refashions our lives, relaxes our nerves, rearranges our values, reforms our attitudes, resets our sights, and replenishes our joy. In other words, the exercise of faith through worship grows our faith. It takes a deeper and deeper into the mind of God and strengthens our inner being. And when we hunger and thirst after righteousness and allow the Lord to control our minds, our bad thinking goes right out the door. We learn to listen and to trust God and we magnify the Lord, but not only magnify the Lord, we elevate him. 
He feeds our tiredness and our weirdness with a power. And we discover that we have, oh my God, more to sing about than to sob about. More to shout about than to pout about. More to glory about than to gripe about according to the measure of our faith. A young married woman wanted to surprise her husband with a homemade cake. She didn't have one of those box cakes, but she had some flour, so she made her own batter. She carefully mixed all the ingredients according to Betty Crocker's instructions. She put the cake batter in the oven, and 45 minutes later, she peeked in to see if it was done. But to her surprise, the cake was hard and flat. So she got on the phone. She called a friend and asked what could be the problem. Her friend went over all the ingredients with her and soon discovered that the young married woman had not measured out a sufficient amount of baking soda. And see, that's what makes the cake rise, she told her friend. And that's what the exercise of faith does for a believer. We rise as servants of Jesus Christ according to the measure of our faith. And when we put enough of ourselves, we get back double. We we grow. How is your measure of faith? Is it growing? Is your devotion to God a practice or a principle? Is your service to Christ a duty or a delight? Is your obligation to the Lord a custom or a commitment? Imagine the body of Christ with every saint thinking humbly and soberly according to their measure of faith. No short tempers to tolerate. No sharp tongues to excuse. No marrow minds to battle. No fleshly forces to contend with. Just a sweet, harmonious body of believers with the same high standards, the same godly virtues, the same sincere effort, and the same truthful testimony. No more bad thinking. A church choir was rehearsing a difficult song over and over again. The director had them to repeat the chorus, trying to get it right. Finally, he stopped the rehearsal and said, you all are singing too loudly. He said, let's try to sing it softly and sweetly. So they sang barely above a whisper. And finally, the harmony was perfect. You see, declare the director, when you sing your own part softly, you can hear the other voices. My Lord, my God. And that's what the worldwide choir of Christian needs. We need a lower our own voices so that we can hear what God is saying through others. That's how the body of Christ achieves sweet harmony and a unified message. Listen, it, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. Uh, it's about us together in a harmonious accord following the lead of our director with a capital D. Jesus. And when we reach that level of service, we will let go of all our bad thinking in favor of God's command to think humbly, think soberly, develop our faith. And that's when God's glory will illuminate everything, saturate everything, penetrate everything, permeate everything with peace, mercy, love. And then God's victory will invigorate everything. His mercy will be magnified. His grace will be glorified. When we get away from that bad thinking. So this morning, my saints, what are you thinking about? May God bless you. May he keep you. This is my prayer.